0: This is Ari Koretsky, and welcome to Jews You Should Know, introducing the broader community to interesting and inspiring Jewish men and women making a difference in our world. Some are already famous, some not yet so, but each is a Jew you should know. We are back with a very exciting episode from our Live Israel podcast tour. This one is really unique because I recorded it months ago on my Israel trip where I went to interview people exclusively but I actually just came back now from visiting the salad trail and Uri Alon its founder having just taken a group of students on a birthright trip to visit this wonderful location Uri Alon who we speak to today is the founder of the salad trail and the salad trail Is probably one of the most underrated tourist attractions in Israel. It's an incredible testament to Israeli ingenuity and tenacity and a splendid example of the fulfillment of the prophecies that the desert of Israel will one day blossom. The Salad Trail is located in the heart of the Negev desert in the south of Israel and hosts the most delectable And diverse array of fruits and vegetables. Visitors can come here and not only learn about how they have all been grown and developed, but also can pick and taste each and every one of these savory natural treats. Ori alone fits nicely into our series of enterprising entrepreneurs, but he's also someone who represents the pure pioneering spirit of a certain class of Zionists, who has dedicated his life to building and growing the land, becoming a professional agrarian, and bringing that dream to the desert to grow the land of Eretz Israel. It was such a pleasure visiting again with my friend Uri Alon, and again having just seen him on my most recent visit, which I hope many of my listeners will take the opportunity to do themselves. From the Salad Trail at Moshav Talmei Yosef. Uri alone. We are here at the Salad Trail with Uri alone, founder of the Salad Trail, which we'll learn about very shortly. What that actually is, the Salad Trail is one of my favorite places in all of Israel. Uh, I was very excited when I decided to make this trip to make sure I could come down here to interview Uri, who I've met a number of times, bringing groups here. Um, remarkable remarkable place that we're excited to learn all
1: about how are you Uri? I'm wonderful when you are here come with your wife to visit me I'm enjoying (laughs) as we do this interview actually my
0: wife is on a tour going around the area she's never been here before so part of my excitement was to bring her and show her and let her enjoy a tour which I've had the the privilege of doing
1: quite a few times Uh, Uri tell us a little bit about where you are from I born in Israel in the center of Israel in a city called Rehovot. Ah, okay. 57 years ago. And learn in Rehovot until age uh, 18. And then I go to the army, join the army to the navy.
0: What the, what was life like in Rehovot for you? Uh,
1: my hobby from I was young is to grow things all the passion or we say it in hebrew green thumb or in english green thumb i get from my mother always in my house we have planned i have a small nursery just at my home and my uh, mother teach me to raise unique vegetables and unique uh, animals
0: interesting where she Know this from she learned it herself
1: or yes she learned it by herself she came from germany after the holocaust she was went through the holocaust no she her uh, family uh, ran away before the holocaust from germany she came to israel in age five years old and her hobby was also plants and uh, animals and she raised all these unique animals that uh, later, i explain to you, even we have them in my farm. Right. And this passion for agriculture and for animals get from her.
0: Interesting, because you think about Rehovot, which is in the middle, as you said, of the country, the Tel Aviv region, the most populous region in the country. You don't associate that area with planting, with growing, with agriculture.
1: No, this time it's not, but in the beginning, 80 years ago, Rehovot was the center of the agriculture of Israel, the center of the oranges, the center of where all the agriculture was. And now uh, they prefer to build building on the land. And now more the orchard came to the desert, here to this area. So why do you think it
0: changed? I mean, what was different about 80 years ago
1: versus today? The change is the modern and the population. Uh, You need to understand that in the year 1948 in Israel, there was only 600,000 Israeli here. Now we are about 8 million. So most of the center of Israel is full and most of the people like to live next to the big city next to tel aviv and jerusalem but for my opinion that my passion was to do agriculture i believe i know that i need to move to the desert and to start as a pioneer from the beginning but the center was in israel and even in rehovot but even the biggest University of Agriculture is in Rehovot. It's called the really? of, uh, it's part of the Hebrew University. It's called Fakulta Lechaklot. It's uh, the Agriculture uh, Science School. It's in the high education. It's in Rehovot, and then I live there and learn also in the university. Actually, I did not know that. That's really surprising. Yes, um. and also Weizmann Institute. It's also in Rehobot. Aha, interesting. That's
0: more for science.
1: Yes, yes. Interesting. So you, you grew up with this love of, of growing
0: things, um, and your mother, it sounds like, gave you a good education and, and a passion for it. Um, what kinds of things did she grow in the house?
1: Uh, we grow unique uh, vegetables in the garden, uh, like carrot, like different flowers, like a flower. I have a, a unique flower I remember. It was more very exciting me that it's special plant that you if you touch it it's close his leaf <laughs> and if you give it to eat it, it's close the, the leaf and eat a meat even. So I grow a crop like this, a plant like this. And even I learned from my mother uh, to do grafting. To take one plant for example a lemon and to do grafting on it with a Uh, another kind of uh, citrus like uh, orange or pomela and other crop. So my mother teach me how to do grafting and later I learned it in the university. But to do a unique thing, she teach me. But another animal, unique animal that uh, my mother grow and raise and uh, tell me, uh, the most interesting was a homing pigeon. And even this now, it's one part of my tour that uh, in a minute I explain. Yes, an amazing,
0: amazing edible, which we'll get to. What was the Jewish community like in, in Rehovot back then? Did you have much Jewish education? And was was your interest in agriculture in any way connected to the Jewish
1: heritage? My father came from Germany also, and he learned in Kheder. Really interesting. In, in when he came to Israel. But the time change and most of the people are not religion and even my family there was not religion, but always I interested about the connection between agriculture and yeah. the religion. So even in my farm I show how you can still be a farmer and take care about the Shemitah rules. Yes. And take care about maasarot and tumot, and I teach other. And even I have special garden, seven species garden here, uh, for remember my mother. To in it's connected to the religion. I show people how you can grow in a desert all the seven species and even the four species. I have them.
0: Here. Wow! Yeah, I want to come back later to the uh, discussion of all the ritual connections and the. Uh, Talk about the tithes and the Shemitah, the sabbatical year. I remember I once brought a group here during the Shemitah, during the sabbatical year, um, when the land has to rest. And uh, I wanted somebody to tell them about this connection to the land. And he said, "He said, you know, Rabbi, you you tell them." I said, "No, no, Uri, you tell them." And uh, you gave them the presentation much better than I could, <laughs> even though I'm a, a rabbi, because for you, you are living with it. Uh, and I want to, a little later, hear more about that. Um, so you went to the army. Did you have any connection to agriculture in the army or no, it was just a standard uh, service?
1: No, I was in, in the Navy. I was a captain of a military boat for 20 years. Really? And, so uh, you were a career military? Uh, uh, yes, but uh, later I served six years in duty and another 14 years in uh, reserve. So when I finished the army I go to learn in the Hebrew University and then I came here to the south of Israel to Moshav Tel Meyosef but all this time I one month a year I go to serve in the army uh, you know, even in the Bible, it's right that in one hand you hold the, the sword, and in uh, the, the other, hand. the <laughs> plow with the other. Yes. So, even this time, we still do it. Now, I adult, but before, for 20 years, I one month a year I go to sail in the Navy. and uh, do you yes. also love the water? It's interesting yes. because you like the agriculture, but that's very different. It's different, but this is a... I serve in a sea of water, now a sea of sand. So it's <laughs> quite, quite the same. That you're surrounded both yeah. ways. So what brought you
0: eventually, after the army, or after your studies, down here to the south, for those unfamiliar, we are here in the heart of the Negev, uh, the south part of the, uh, of the State of Israel. Not the deepest part of the south, but relatively south, not far from Gaza, uh, for those who know, and though not a very populated part of Israel, probably the most empty part of the state, even though it's a huge part of its land mass. Um, What brought you specifically here, specifically to the desert and to this particular Moshav?
1: When I finished to learn in the university in the year 1988, it was very hard to start with agriculture. Now in the modern time, you, it's, in Israel, uh, a few years before, you can start from a new uh, moshav, a new settlement, and uh, the government subsidizes you and you can start from the beginning. But from when, in the time that I start, if you want to start as a farmer, you need to buy a farm and to buy a farm is a lot of millions of shekel or few, a lot of hundred thousand of US dollars and I don't have this much money. The only place in Israel in that time that you can get a farm from the government it's next to the border, next to border of Gaza, next to border of Egypt and we can find some in, in, in that time in the Golan Heights or in the Arava, in the south of Israel but uh, i decide to go to this region because it's not so far from the center it's only one hour and a half right and my family stay in the center so to be still in contact with the family and to do in this area agriculture this without a lot of money this is the only place that you can do it so i learned to love this region i don't came because of love of this region, I came with the passion for agriculture. Then I learned about the, this region and became to be in love with what I have here. And you
0: joined a specific moshav, you said Talmei Yosef, which is
1: yeah. right here adjacent
0: to the farm. So you were a part of this moshav, but they gave you a piece of land
1: or the government gave you land. The, How did that work? Uh, when I came to the moshav, I, get, I need to buy a house
0: from the moshav.
1: From the government. From the government. Okay. From the government. Not expensive. It was not expensive. It was only ten thousand U.S. dollars. Oh my gosh! For a very big that, house. That's a good deal. <laughs> yes, and I get fifteen acre free. Unfortunately, Whoa. it's not in the middle of Manhattan. Okay. It's in the <laughs> That's it's about maybe ten billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's in the middle of the desert. But I get it for so free. Uh, you know, you get a free uh, present. You take it. So I get the land from the government, but I cannot sell the land. I get only the, I buy the, the right house. to use it. I have the right to use it and can give it to my sons and the next generation. But I can, I can sell the, the right to another one, but I cannot build building in ah. all this uh, field. I can do only agriculture. This is the permission of the government to do agriculture. Uh-huh. I get water. I need to buy the water, but I give the connection, the, the, the connection to the water supply, and then I can grow whatever I like. So it's in Moshev, so it's Moshev. It's like a village. Everyone decides for himself what to do with his land. I don't force to do anything. I do tourism. My neighbor is electronic engineering. The other is a building uh, houses, everyone decide for himself what to do. So I decide to go on agriculture and unique that we will speak about it. And how do you all work together in a moshav? Because it's different than a kibbutz, right? Yes. So then, how does it function? It's different from kibbutz because there, every farmer, it's like a village. Everyone have his own farm, his own bank account and if i earn money my neighbor lose it's not affect me it's everyone uh, deal with the bank uh, directly but it's the society is together the holidays the bet kneset we have here the celebration for bar mitzvah and things like this so it's just a really tight close community really, yes
0: yes is what it is
1: yes it's a community of in the beginning the moshav was more Socialist, so everyone must to help his uh, the other. Now it's everyone with his own. Money. More capitalistic. Yes. But when you came
0: here, the land was owned by the government. You said not by the moshav. So how did you connect to the moshav at that time? You bought a house from the government and land from the government, yes. but it
1: just became part of the moshav it's because it was next to it. Or no, it's part of the moshav. All the member of the moshav get uh, need to be checked if they are fit for the moshav. We have uh, people that check if you are good for the society here, if it's, it's fit. Our moshav was American and uh, South African. Interesting. E- English-speaking, uh, most of the moshav, a lot of English people came. This was the base of the our moshav. So if you fit, uh, you, can, you do one year in the moshav. You grow whatever you like. And after one year, the member need to vote for you, if it's okay to that you go on. So you get the permission to go and to be a member of the community. But it's not... Uh, the, so the Moshav, it's a about how many water you will get, how many... It's not about money. It's uh, more together we buy things and things like that interesting so right away you started farming these 15 acres and what did you start to grow and how did you start to build a business because I learned in the Hebrew University agriculture I was professional of uh, growing the unique thing so from the beginning after one day that I arrived all my luggage stay (laughs) unpacked at the house (laughs) And I go directly to the field, start to plant. After one week, I plant the first tomato crop, and after two months, I start to pick. Oh my goodness. And the highest price that I get for my tomato for almost 30 years was the first crop that I grow in this year was then it was about two uh, US dollar per one kilogram of tomato. Usually it's half a dollar the farmer gets. Wow, what and was so
0: successful? Just because they were it's so... beginner, delicious.
1: beginner luck. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. I'll tell you,
1: your beginner luck, I think has continued
0: for 30 years because those tomatoes are amazing. I take them, I eat them by the fistful.
1: <laughs> yes, but they don't uh, pay for it. Uh, <laughs> That's, right.
0: That's right. So you um, started growing tomatoes and, and right away, Uh, started having success did you know did you have like a vision of like what you wanted to do long term did you know I want to grow you know this and this and this and this or did you each year kind of add something new how did your whole operation unfold
1: develop when I start I get a field from people that live here before and they left me a grape orchard and uh, that's all and I start with uh, vegetables because it's the fastest uh, crop uh, we can grow and you want to make profit right yes, away because I don't have a lot a uh, big bank account right. I need to plant and or, to pick and to income yeah yes I need a very fast income so I grow start to grow vegetables then I decide to start to grow organic crops I have a friend that was professional of a uh, Organic, so I believe of this system and I start to grow. And what does it mean
0: organic? How does that work?
1: Organic, it's meaning without chemicals at all. You grow vegetables, no any uh, chemical spraying, and no any uh, nutrition chemicals, only natural. So you get a fresh fruit without any chemicals in the fruit. Is that more difficult? Yes, sure. It's much more difficult because you cannot. You. It's very hard to deal with the because uh, of the bugs, with the bugs and the insect and the nutrition. We are now in desert. In desert, the ground is very poor, and you need to add a lot of nu- nutrient to the plant. And uh, when you don't have it, you need to add it. So if you have chemical solution, it's very easy. But we get to do it organic, very hard and the yield it's much less and the fruit not look so nice like the fruit with the spray. so if you take it to a local, to a regular market they don't want to pay the the same price because there is scratch on the fruit and some bugs sometimes eat a part of the leaf so it's very uh, healthy but not the, it's not paid as uh, you get the less yield and less quality. So it was very hard to grow organic and I grow it uh, and try also to grow a uh, mango and grow also peaches and grow herbs and grow flower to export. All these crops I grow for about 20 years I try every year different crop different method but my belief what is not to invest a lot of money because a few years ago 30 years ago you can earn money from a very small field but when the modern time uh, go on and on you must have very big fields in very big field you need to take a lot of money to invest every year right so I don't have so many money and I don't want to risk all my family money in Uh, all the income. So I do a small field and I guiding other farmer in the area about agriculture. Ah, you became like a consultant. Yes, I start to consult other farmer, how to grow, how to deal with disease of plant. And I combine also the crops that I have here and also guide other farmers. So the income joined. How
0: is it even possible to grow in the desert. I mean, one of the amazing things about Israel today, and I think one of the reasons I love this place so much, um, is because of the prophecies that we talk about, that one day, the, you know, the Jews will return to the land, and the desert will blossom, and you see it now with your own eyes in this place, the desert blooming. It's an incredible thing. You walk from the car to the greenhouses, and you're kicking, stepping in sand, like you're like you're on the beach, or something, without the water. How is it possible to grow in, in such an environment?
1: Uh, all what you see here, it's connected to Israeli develop. All what you see, it starts from the drip irrigation that developed in Israel, the first drip irrigation developed in Israel. And this idea can take the sand, the sand dune that we have here, and to add water and nutrient to the sand, And through the greenhouse, we control the weather. So even in the middle of the winter, we cover it with plastic sheet and the sun goes through the plastic and heat the greenhouse. In the summer, we shade, have shade on the greenhouse. So we can have effect on the nutrient and on the uh, temperature of the environment. So we can change the desert to a better area so we can control the weather we can control the nutrient and then we can have this result like you mentioned just a minute ago but even in the ground itself are there enough nutrients to grow? No, the, so how do you the ground don't have it, have any nutrient we have computer they check how many nutrients we have in the soil and through the drip irrigation we can add we know what the plant needs because we check it in the computer. And then through the irrigation system, we add it to the uh, ground and then the plant have whatever he needs. So you're, you're, the drip irrigation is not just water. It's also nutrients.
0: Yes. Ah, I did not realize that, but not chemical nutrients. Yeah. Chemical. Yeah. Chemical. So nutrients. that's not the organic. It's not organic. Got it. Got it. So the drip irrigation includes chemicals to help it grow. Um, with with the proper
1: nutrients. Explain a little bit about what drip irrigation is. The idea of the drip irrigation is, uh, I tell you the story how it's, uh, how we find this uh, idea. A very famous uh, engineer of uh, Mekorot, the first water company of Israel, once go to visit his friend and he see a line of a tree, very small tree. One of the tree was a double of the size that all the plant. He came to the this tree and find that down this tree, there's more, uh, there's water pipe go, with a very small hole in it. So he give one drop, one to another to the plant, to the specifically plant, and this plant grow very good. So in, understand that if you give the plant a little water all the time, like infusion, to a man, so it's a best idea or the best solution for the plant. Instead of giving a lot of water at once and yes. then nothing and yes. then a lot. Yes, like floating. Before, in a lot of country, you give water by floating. It's very bad because the roots need also oxygen, and when you give a lot of water, the oxygen in the soil. Go out, and the plant, and the roots also suffered. So they need a little bit water, but not too much. So the drip irrigation is exactly—it's a—it's more moist than a lake, if you understand. So this is better for the plant, and the result is much better. So we company named Netafim develop it. And now, seventy percent of the crop in the world is uh, used by drip irrigation. Really, seventy percent uh, of the world. Yes, and most of it developed in Israel. They sell from Israeli company company named Netafim. Unbelievable. And is that specifically
0: more helpful in the desert when yes. there's less natural rainfall, or
1: is it even helpful in a place where there's a lot of rainfall? It's good everywhere because. The situation with the oxygen in the soil is much better. In greenhouse, it's not a factor of rain because it's covered. So, but when, and even the most uh, known crop like rice that you usually grow in floating, now we can grow it with drip irrigation with better results. All the Asia, Thailand, and Vietnam, full of fields of rice. Now we teach them that we can grow without any water with only the drip irrigation and better result. Now, what happens when there's drip irrigation, but also a rainstorm? Does the rainstorm ruin uh,
0: what happens? Because it, then it saturates the land.
1: After a big rain, we need to add more nutrient because when you have a big storm, all the nutrients go down from the roots of the plant. You need to give another time the nutrients. So even with small water, you can feed the plant. OK, so it's not only water, it's all the environment in the soil that we take care of it.
0: And this ends up producing also a tastier product.
1: The effect of the taste of the vegetables not affect mostly from the drip irrigation. It's more effect by the, the varieties that we develop. We develop, for example, the sherry tomato that you mentioned, Sure. that developed in Israel. The first sherry tomato. Really? I did not there, know that. Yes. Yeah. In the beginning, it's called TV tomato, because you eat it... Natural. With, no, you eat oh, it... TV, with, like TV, TV. Like I thought you meant the Hebrew word, no, like natural. No. No, not natural. Television. Television tomato, because you eat it in front of the television, it's a snack. Small. <laughs> so, in the beginning, it would start, when it starts in Israel. In the when, when was this developed? In the year nineteen sixty, something like okay. this. In the in the Hebrew University in Jerusalem, ah. we developed a unique variety for taste. Not only the shape, in, in interest taste of the tomato is very interesting. You mentioned that you eat it before, and now we have a unique variety that we take care from the taste. So, for example, to uh, do a new variety of cherry tomato, tomato, it costs $1 million and it takes 7 years to develop. Why is that? Because you need, it's not, it's cross-breeding between different crops and until you have commercial crop, it's very hard because you need to know exactly what result you will have, what size of tomato you will have, what taste, what shape, what color what a resistant for disease we put also resistant for disease in the gene of the tomato so we don't want to spray a lot so we develop a very strong plant so it's a lot of take a lot of money to develop it and a lot of time wow so how often do you do this do you
0: actually every try- year
1: there is a unique uh, company that develop new variety because the Competition in the market very big, so, so you don't develop it here. You help. No, I you'll don't take le- from some. I am else. part of the test. Sometimes they bring me new variety to taste in my uh-huh. farm, to do exam, to see if, how it's growing, and I, as agronomist, help them to learn about it. So you don't have to pay one million dollars to invent no, the new. No, me, me, <laughs> me as a farmer, no. They need to sell a lot of seeds of tomato to earn this money. Right. Unbelievable.
0: So, you continued growing things for many years. Eventually, um, as you noted, it seems like you became more of a tourist attraction. You said you identified your profession as tourism. Now, Uh, and clearly, anybody who comes here and people uh, are welcome and and to come here, of course, will see each time tours and groups and buses from birthrights or families or wherever else. So how did that eventually come about?
1: I tell you in the beginning that if you want to be to earn a lot of money from agriculture you must to be very big and it's very a uh, danger this time.
0: Because you're risking the
1: investment uh, Yes, and you if it doesn't
0: produce and you, you lose your money and you, uh, you're stuck.
1: Yes, this, exactly. So I don't believe to invest a lot of money and I don't have so many and my passion was to teach other about what I know to do because I start as professional not as a only to sell thing as a a market. So I start in the beginning uh, to families, to my family, to show my farm and they love it. So from year to year more people come to see my crop and eventually in the year 2009, uh, start to work with Birthright. So a lot of the group of birthright start to come to visit my farm and they like it a lot because here you can see what Israel, the real Israel is. How I say before, how Avram Avinu came here with his cattle just 20 kilometers from here, from Haran, arrived to this region and he was a farmer like me. And a lot of Jews and a lot of people all over the world forget the, the source, the base they forget it, but they love it. Every children like to pick and to learn about healthy crop. Every Ima, every mother like to show her children what crop, uh, how important it is to grow all this crop and to use it. So I like to show this and I develop my farm to a demonstration farm. So from the money I have, I can develop this museum of agriculture called the Salad Trail. And I do a trail through all the component of the salad. And this the idea here, to show and to teach about agriculture. So what are some of the stops that people get to enjoy when they come here? We have different crop during all the year. And the, the idea, it's museum of agriculture, but the unique of it, that you can eat the the art most museums it says do not touch on the glass here it says please touch please pick (laughs) please touch and eat this is the difference because i believe that after you taste this tomato like we have about 10 different variety of sherry tomato we have three variety of cucumber we call them (laughs) cucumber because they are very small and unique we have herbs 60 different kinds of herbs we have oranges we have pineapple we have passion fruit potato, peanuts strawberry seven species garden all these crops that everyone is different station in the tour of about half an hour while the guide teach about the crop explain about them explain about uh, sabbatical year and about Trumot and Ma'asarot and then the group start to pick and to eat in the field and then after they enjoy it, they go to another field learn about the water, how we use here unique water and every crop, the idea here to show by fun how we can grow in a desert For my opinion, success is somebody go out from here and remember after one year or two years or ten years that the best tomato he ever eat, it was in the Israeli desert, that a unique variety developed in Israel. And the water that we give to the plant to drink is sewage water. We use his sewage water to feed our plant. So if you remember it after 10 years, I succeed. Why sewage water? Because in Israel, we don't have enough water. So we need, we take the water of the center of Israel, clean them and bring them to, clean them as a drinking water. And this is the water that we use here for agriculture. That water could even be drank. Y- yes, we don't, uh, we don't drink them. We don't allow to drink them, but they are good to feed, uh, to give to the plant. We don't allow to drink them, but they clean as a drinking water. How does the levels of infestation, you know, bugs, in the crops compare
0: here to what you're doing versus other fields that are using different methods or
1: different locations? The idea of the farm to show the commercial way of the other farmer. I use the same system of all the farmer in the area, but in every crop is different uh, behave. For example, in the strawberry field, we grow here strawberry, we use only biological control. We don't spray at all. We have biological control that small bugs that eat the other bugs that disturb for the strawberry to grow. So every crop have different treatment. And because we grow in greenhouse, we can uh, reduce the amount of the spraying. For example, if I grow tomato in open field, I need to spray three times a day. Wow. In our greenhouse, we can spray once in three weeks. It's much less and very healthy. So, you know, I know a
0: lot of people who, um, those who are concerned with Jewish law don't want to eat infested crops. Is it easier to clean these or are they, is there, there's less
1: bugs that enter to begin with? Depending what crop. If you speak about strawberry, it's a, a lot of religion, people don't eat strawberry because they afraid. Or they clean it, it very carefully. Because it's very hard to clean it. Yeah. Our fruit very safe, but some don't believe it and don't trust it and will never charedim, will never eat strawberry, anyway. Uh, but our fruit is safe and no any bugs. But it's everyone believe. For the a, a, a example, a leaf like lettuce, leafy vegetables, yeah. This we close the greenness hermetically and there is no any bugs and then you can eat it very safe. Do you sell um, for Pesach? with the romaine lettuce from aurora at all i'm not selling anything right. i'm selling stories right this is my farm focus but all the farmer in the area selling all this product in pesach or in all over the year the lettuce without any bug yes this the we are professional fit all the farmer in the area my farm is to show to a people what the ability of the farmer i'm not selling other uh, out-product. Right, right. Tell me a little
0: bit more about some of the Jewish uh, questions. As we mentioned before, Shemitah, the sabbatical year, that according to the Torah, uh, once in seven years, the land must rest. Uh, And it's very complicated for people to have vegetables on this year. And there's a lot of controversy about what to do. Some people allow that the land should be sold to non-Jews, to Arabs, and then worked. Others do not permit this. How do you... Can you explain a little bit about what the Shemitah is? And how you... The different ways that you go about addressing it.
1: I start with another thing that you didn't speak on it, is where you must to do a Shemitah. We are now in the south of Israel, in the place that not all the time the Jewish sit here. Only from the Bible it's right, That only until the time of David HaMelech and later until when the time the Jew left Israel to the Galut, to Babel, okay? They probably live here. So in the Bible, it's right that you should do a Shemitah in the border of Israel. It's until, in the south, it's until the river of the Nile. River, not Nile, excuse me, the river of Egypt. It's not sure where is River of Egypt. For my opinion, it's the Bso region that it's north from here. That's even the reason that Abraham Avinu came here and reached to this river. Never passed itself. We are now south to this river, so it's not sure where is this border. So it's not sure that it's we must to do a Shemitah here or not. Interesting. Interesting. So some rabbi say okay because we are we are not sure if it was Israel or not. This in the, the different of time, for sure and it's right that in the time that uh, the Jewish came back from Babel, they never reached to this area. There is called Gvulot Olei Mitzrayim and Gvulot Olei Bavel. You understand me? Just to at the borders of the Jews when they came out of Egypt, meaning the first
0: time. They come into the land of Israel, and then the borders after the destruction of the first temple, when the Jews came back to resettle the land, not all of them, actually not even the majority, but many Jews with Ezra uh, came back to resettle the land and build the second temple. Uh, So they didn't settle these particular areas, right, where we sit now.
1: Yes, they didn't sit here for sure. But because of the doubt, we need to do Shemitah, but we don't need to bless in this region but if you are not sure you can do it okay this one thing about the shemitah the shemitah idea is not to give to the land to rest there's another uh, believe that it's give to the people the time to go and to work for god to pray to have one year to think about god to think about uh, behave not in most of the people was farmer and when you are farmer you start like me start from the sun uh, shine until the sun go down and you don't have a lot of power to work and to learn so the shemitah is to give to the to people one year to rest and uh, not to give to the land to rest interesting this is a what i learned about the shemitah so they take this idea and say, okay, you will not work in this year. God will give you food to eat, enough food to eat. You don't need to, uh, to work all these seven years. One year you can rest. But in the modern time, for example, if I'm a farmer and I have a market of my wonderful tomato, I send six years mar- to the market. In the seven year, if I will not be in the market, somebody else come to the market and I lose all my customer and in the modern time it's not easy but we still want to take care and to behave and to to remember what is right in the bible so we take the rules from the bible and fit it to the modern agriculture so what it's right it's right in the bible that you should not grow in the land but it's not right that you cannot grow inside house so for my opinion and for other rabbi it's have permission if you grow in greenhouse it's called the house and if you don't plant in the soil you can plant out the soil it's not right it's not permission so what we do we take the plant out of the soil plant them in bucket high of the ground and inside greenhouse you can use this crop even in the shemitah year you understand yeah because it's right not in the sand and not in open field and you've talked to rabbis about Yes. yeah i, I talk and teach rabbis <laughs> about it <laughs> right it's called halachot we have a very big book and i go through the book for example if you have orchard i have orchard so I bring people to pick from the fruit. So what you do in schnapsmita, it's right that you cannot sell the product. I don't sell. Right. It's like you have a, in your garden a tree, give a fruit every year. You can eat in the schnapsmita. You don't allow to spray it. You don't allow to prune the plant. But if you gave the plant to grow, you can eat from the fruit even in the schnapsmita. So that's what we are doing. We don't sell the product. In my farm, I don't sell anything, so right. I don't have a problem with this. So we take care of the thing that's right of the Shnach mitah, but we still, our farmer, very few of the farmers in Israel don't do anything in Shnach mitah. Most of them find the solution that the rabbi give them permission to grow in mitah, we Mita and the fruit is safe. Right. There is a minority that do it. The, I think there's something called Karana Shmita that helps support farmers. Yes,
0: but it's very few of the farms. But it's not not so many and of course that organization works to try to get more farms to do it and they give them financial support and and things like this. How do you deal with other issues within Jewish law? You mentioned Trumatma Masrot, which is tithing of different sorts of tithes given to priests and and uh, some to the poor and some at different places. Do you deal with these kinds of things here on the farm or is it only after uh, only farmers that are selling to to market who deals with those kinds of things.
1: It's right in the Bible that if you pick in the field and take it to your home, you need to do t'motum to masarot If you eat in the field, you don't need to do it. Right. So you can eat in the field without any on the tours product. on the tours, that uh, the idea here in my farm so you do the people here don't take the product back to the house so they don't need to do to it's need only when you take it out from the field to the house interesting and some of the things you do sell a few things in your shop right um some spices and things like that are those from your farm uh, from the region from the, from the region not yes. necessarily from the farm no, itself. No. It's from a uh, orchard olive oil and honey um, Of the farmer in the area
0: and on those products people would need to take off Whatever tithes they would on their own. I would imagine. Yes.
1: Yes. Uh, I get the final uh, Product that they need to the rabbi come to them and do to motor muscle. The rabbi does it here. no, no in my way the product that I sell i buy it after they do tour. Ah, the rabbi does it first and then yes. you buy it already yes fixed yes ah okay did not know that
0: um there's some other programs that you do here on the farm i remember i once brought a group to do an iron chef yes. competition tell us a little bit about that and, and, and are there any other special programs you do besides just the regular tour
1: yes i have plenty of them uh, the, the program is fit for families, not uh, a lot of family come uh, to visit uh, my farm. A lot of uh, soldiers just now. I saw a soldier group, right, two soldier groups yes. as I passed inside. Yeah. These soldiers now protect our border and they have off from the duty. And I subsidize them to come to yeah. visit and to see uh, for what they are. Uh, what are they protecting? Uh, yeah, what they I are protecting. Beautiful. Yes. So they like it a lot and it's make them more. More <laughs> strength yeah. to uh, protect us.
0: Wow! Uh,
1: the, the program that you mentioned, the Iron Chef, is the idea is to take the vegetables, all the unique crop that I grow, even edible flower, even fruit like uh, uh, strawberry, like passion fruit, like uh, uh, You know sabar sabres. Uh, I'm not familiar. Cactus. Cactus. Cactus, yes. Cactus fruit. What is, does cactus grow fruit? Yes, yes. Because we were passing
0: in on the way yes, here yes. and we were looking at rows and rows of cacti. Yes. said, What's it for? Just for extra pricks? No. I said, oh, it's, it, actual fruit. <laughs> it's for fruit. It's okay.
1: the, the biggest area uh, in Israel of uh, cactus fruit. Okay. Did not know? Okay. You need to try it once. It's okay. very, very unique. The tzabar. It's called the tzabar. So the group go and pick all the crop after the tour and do wonderful, uh, wonderful dishes. Even they are not professional. It's the 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 only place that they do by themselves. They don't only listening. They don't only eating. They need need to do something from their own create so, to create. So this is the most uh, exciting thing. Another new program we have here, it's called Escape Garden. <laughs> like an escape room? Yes, and I mentioned about the Seven Species Garden. Yes, tell me about
0: that as well. Yeah.
1: Uh, like I tell you in the beginning, all what I learned, I learned from my mother. And when she passed away two years ago, mm. uh, to remember her name, I built this uh, garden, the Seven Species Garden, and I tried to teach group about the Seven Species. Uh, from the Bible. From the Bible, the, all the seven species that Israel blessed from them. And what, what are they? there are the chita seora, gefen rimon, dvash, it's meaning, uh, dvash, it's meaning uh, honey of uh, date. Date honey, yeah. Date honey, pomegranate, and fig. Right, and as well as wheat and barley. Yes, and, uh, I mentioned it in Hebrew. Yes, <laughs> the seven species that Israel blessed, uh, i show here how they grow and i give uh, people to pick and taste them but to learn and to uh, feel and touch the tree i create a game that they have need to go in the field to find a secret uh, code on the tree that i mentioned and that the way they when while they're eating from the grape they learn about the leaf they learn the sentence uh, i don't know how you translate it Niknas Yain Yatsasod reads when the wine enters a person,
0: secrets come out. That wine intoxicates and also um, helps uh, express one's inner essence. Well, we say this a lot when it comes
1: to Purim. When a person gets drunk on Purim, that their deeper self emerges. So I show the plant, I give them to eat directly. I uh, showed them about the fig, how it was the first bikini in uh, heaven. <laughs> <laughs> and they see the meaning, so it's very nice game. And and I find groups and family in that way, not only to look on the tree to find something code, It's make them unique. That's wonderful. That's wonderful.
0: Tell us a little bit about the animals that you said you're raising here, and specifically the pigeons, the homing
1: pigeons, which are amazing, amazing animals, which I love to see every time. According to the Jewish traditional. Uh, the pigeon symbolized the Jewish uh, nation. It's right in Sefer in Ishayahu that when they like the Jewish k'ayonim a la if you can... Just like the pigeons will return
0: to their natural habitat, to their home, so too the Jews, we may be dispersed around the world and exiled, but ultimately we always gravitate back towards our home,
1: the land of Israel. So... The pigeon, like I say, is very connected to me from my childhood because I remember my mother and me every time we go to visit my sister she learned in school very far from our house so we go on bus to visit her and every time we go with a box with pigeon we drive for about 100 kilometers to get to her school and we take a box with pigeon, we release the homing pigeon and the homing pigeon now to go back home so every time we go on the bus we take the box and release the pigeon from her school and it came to my home and I remember it as I was a child <clears throat> when I became became to be adult I want to teach my son about this homing pigeon because he was all the time in the computer even we are in Moshev, in <laughs> he wasn't in the fields. <laughs> no, not at all. And I tried to give him uh, some of my childhood, my love, in uh, my passion from the childhood. So I br- go and bring him a homing pigeon. So he agreed to give name for the pigeon, and, and for the, that was all. And I stayed to grow all these pigeons. What was the name? <laughs> <laughs> The name was a football player. Uh, which one? <laughs> Ronaldo MS. Ronaldo <Messi. laughs> That was the first pigeon. <laughs> okay. But uh, I stay with the pigeon and because it was my hobby, not my son' hobby, <laughs> I go on and on it, on it. In the year 2005, I joined the Israeli uh, club of racing pigeon. And we have a race and I win... As a champion of Israel, well, where is the race from? Where to where? It was from the north of Israel, from Mount Hermon, until the south of Israel that we are now here, about uh, four hundred kilometers. So you would drive the pigeons up, yes, and then and they, and they, let them go. they fly fly back, and wow. we do a competition about speed, not about who pigeon get first. the The pigeon that fly the fastest, uh, the highest speed. Why was your pigeon so fast? Uh, Did you call it in because a I way? love them so much <laughs> and maybe they love mine. I raised them with love. This was, I believe. So I re- released them in uh, Mount Hermon and they came here about four hours after four hours from Mount Hermon. So 100 kilometers per hour they're, they're yes. flying. Yes. It's like a car. Yeah. Uh, yes, it, uh, faster than a car. So. I go and race in this hobby and grow more and more pigeon, But not only from my mother alone, I have a friend of my family that was a soldier in communication unit in the independent war. 1948, yeah. Uh, yes. And my, uh, this uh, member of the family named Leah uh, used to bring uh, pigeon from Tel Aviv to the settlement, to the kibbutz here around my moshad. In 1948 so when the Egyptian occupied all this south of Israel the only way to communicate was this with the pigeon that my aunt this Leah eh, that I mentioned bring here to the soldier that take care of the all the base around so I learned from her also think from the independent war and even a very famous author named Meir Shalev write a book, A Pigeon and a Boy. And it tells the story of my family, how we used to grow pigeon, how she, this Aunt Leah, bring pigeon to the settlement here. And this is the story that I tell everyone. And when the group came here, they see the champion pigeon, they attach a message to the leg of the pigeon, and send messages to Bar Mitzvah boy or for anyone. And uh, it's very fun to see a pigeon fly in the sky, bring a bless to somebody else. It's very fun. Oh, wow. And
0: now during the war they would they would like put messages in the mouth or no. on the leg? How would they do it?
1: Uh, we have a message tube. In Hebrew it's called totaf. Totaf it's like totafot benenecha. In tfilin, yeah. In Tfilin. So it's a small message tube. And I, have, I, have, I get from the U.S. Army the original message tube from World War II. Wow. I still have it. So we put in this message tube a very small note, attach it to the leg of the pigeon and take the pigeon away from the house. For example, if a soldier go to the field, he takes a pigeon with him and when he have a problem in the field, he attach a message and the pigeon flies back to the base because she born in the base. It's only one way. So when we have here tourists, we take the pigeon away from here or we give them when they go to Tel Aviv or whenever they like go, they attach a message and the message come back here and I send it by mail, the message that they they attach. (laughs) Is there ever a way to change their home, so to speak? Or once they're born somewhere? They need to born, that's it. They need to born everywhere. Even a pigeon leaves leave her baby, leave her husband. She always comes back home if she has the opportunity. So I, when I buy a pigeon, I never uh, release her. Only the baby, the baby, the ability of the pigeon to go back, they, they get it as their baby. Do we know why? It's according to the magnetic field of the globe, so they feel, they can smell, every place in the world have different magnetic uh, sign, so the pigeon can smell it, and fly even, and my pigeon fly from Cyprus, it's 400 kilometers over the sea, and I take a pigeon by yacht over there and they release there, and they came back here after 36 hours and they don't need to
0: rest or eat
1: they need uh, 30, they need to rest because in the night they are not flying so i go by yacht i believe they find a the yacht to the other side and sleep on the deck for the night and maybe in the morning they fly on i don't know but when you do the competition uh, for example from the mount hermon they don't stop Five hour of flying, they can do it without any stop. Incredible! Just in starting to, to
0: close, uh, what, you're? We're in a region that you know is, is uh, considered by some to be somewhat dangerous, or it's it's close to the Gaza border. Uh, driving here, you see uh, many signs for the Rafia crossing and things like this. Have do you ever feel like you're in a position of uh, of insecurity? Have there been issues when there have been different things coming over from gaza uh, whether rockets or the now the kites that are being sent over from
1: terrorists have you had any issues in that regard when i start with my site i learned that you must to do if you want to succeed in in tourism you must to be on the way to somewhere two way to elah two way to mount hermon to way to the kinneret in israel sea of galilee Here we are not in the way to anywhere. Here the tourists need to come directly to here. They go go for one hour, one and a half hour. To reach only to my farm, there is no any other site, tourist site in the area. So it was very hard to convince people to arrive here. More of this, the security situation in this region sometimes is very noisy. We are very close to Egypt border. And very close to Gaza but we are safe here and I grow my grandson just 500 meters from the border with Gaza without any fear I live here and even sometimes you hear in the news that there's some attack of a rocket it's happened sometimes it's happened but it's in the area that the size of it it's about 30% of Israel so if one small rocket that can make damage to one car. It's like a car accident. That's all the damage that the one rocket do. It's affect about 30% of Israel area. So it's not real problem. It's in the media problem. And a lot of people afraid to arrive. But it's happened very not very often. It's happened about every four years for a few weeks. And then it's began to be quiet again. In the last summer there was a few days of rocket that shoot from gaza i live here 30 years and i never see any rocket and i didn't hear any rocket okay so in the media it's look that you cannot live here but i never see it and i grow very safe my children and my grandson and it's safe here there is unique time that's not safe but it's very few days in four years. So now it's safe. Now we are dealing with the Arab about peace agreement and don't believe that it will be peace but it will be quiet like we have in e- with Egypt. We don't go to Egypt to visit but we don't have war situation with them and the border is quiet. So even we are five miles from the border it's not affect us. The kite that you speak, there are burn some field, but it's not very, I never see a kite like this. Any of my tourists didn't suffer from it. So it's safe here and every few times it's noisy. So next week it will be quiet. So Israel, it's in complicated areas, sometimes here, sometimes it's where. But the more things that we do, pure Zionism. We believe what, what we are doing, and we do it and show it. And this is the real nice Israel that you dream on. The real pioneering Israel that I hope all your listeners come to see. How can people learn more about the Salad Trail, learn how to come book a tour and, and come and enjoy this beautiful place? I believe they can find it through our website. It's uh, the thesaladtrail.co.il. Uh, and they can connect from us over there there is movie on the side there's a lot of a interview and like this very nice interview i hope you like they like it
0: wonderful uri alone the salad trail here in the south of israel thank you so much for joining us thank you this has been ari koretsky on jews you should know please visit us at JewsYouShouldKnow.com and subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you consume podcasts. Find us on social media at JewsYouShouldKnow. If you'd like to become a supporter of this podcast, we would greatly appreciate that. And you can do so by visiting Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash JewsYouShouldKnow. Finally, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review so that we can continue to grow and introduce many more people to Jews, you should know.